Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. I'm your host, Steve Kramer. Thank you for joining me today. And on this episode, it's a special episode with A.J. Burton of Southern Maine Community College. If you listen to some of our episodes for a while, you've heard him before. And we're talking about March Madness, some of the takeaways, some of the things that we can apply as coaches. What are some of the surprises that we've seen so far? This is a really great episode and it was also a lot of fun to record with him so special thank you to coach Burton for taking the time once again to speak to us we've been spoiled because they didn't have a college basketball season this year so we've we've had him on he's helped us out a ton with the coach's edge so if you enjoy the coach's edge please subscribe rate review that goes a really long way as we continue to grow our podcast thank you for listening let's get to the show I'd like to welcome Coach A.J. Burton to the Coach's Edge podcast. Coach, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Like we talked about before we started the show here, um, you know, it's March. It's the most wonderful time of year if you're a basketball fan. Uh, it's basketball, like I said, March Madness, like so many games, so many things to learn, so many things to, you know, pick out that you want to utilize moving forward. And just, you know, it's just great being able to talk basketball this time of the year. Absolutely. You know, and I thought – Let's change the coach's edge up a little bit and we'll keep it from a coaching perspective, but let's do an episode. And maybe this is something that we'll, we'll do again as the final four gets closer because like yourself, like myself, all basketball coaches, they're watching the tournament and everybody's trying to, you know, see a couple of things, a few takeaways. So let's start out there. What are some of the things that you look for when you're watching the NCAA tournament? You know, one of the first things that really starts on Selection Sunday for me, you know, when they have the big unveil of the tournament of, of you know, who's playing who, who's in what quadrant, so forth like that. Um, the biggest thing I look for is the certain matchups. Um, you know, you get the analysts, they talk about like, oh, this would be a great matchup, 12 versus five. This is going to be a must watch. You know, there's a lot of times I'm going to be jotting down like, okay, I want to watch this game. Make sure I see this one. Okay, this game here, I want to watch this one too. So, for example, going into the tournament this year, you know, games I had circled right away. I wanted to watch Ohio versus Virginia. Two different dynamics, two different styles of play, um, unique individuals um, in that game. So I was like, got to watch that. Um, Loyola versus Georgia Tech. Um, I'm sure many of you listening on this have, you know, the great incredible story of Loyola three years ago. Um, In my honest opinion, I think this Loyola team is better than the team three years ago. Um, and they play well right around their center. Um, and also, too, the game where they played Illinois, seeing them getting matched up there, that was another game I wanted to watch. Then, you know, the other two that really stood out for me was, you know, watching some of these mid-major schools that I've not been able to watch all year. My exa- two examples are Winthrop and Abilene Christian. Winthrop is very unique. Um, they're a very fast-paced, up and up-tempo team that, you know, they have a 6'7 point guard who led the country in triple-doubles. Boy, if that doesn't get your eyes popped up being like, ooh, I need to tune in and watch this guy. So I was all in on that one. And Abilene Christian is just, if you didn't get to watch them against Texas, they put on a clinic from a team defensive standpoint. Um, It was just great stuff to see there. And just hearing the backstory of the coach talking um, afterwards when they beat Texas, you know, about this is our identity. When we bring recruits in, we're like, this is what's going to help us beat the teams like Texas, Texas Tech, any of those power five schools, because we can't match up with them. We don't got pros. So we utilize our team defense to really set ourselves up. That's way different than other teams that they're not prepared for. 
Um, so like you got those matchups, the style of play, and then like specific teams. Um, Houston, I love watching Houston this year. Um, you know, not many people think of Houston till like way back in the days of five slam a jamma. Um, but they're the real deal again. They are actually legit. I mean, they got five dudes that go on there and they're so balanced. It's essentially similar to Gonzaga a little bit, kind of like a pick your poison. All right, you're going to close or shut this guy down. Great. They have four of the guys that are going to beat you. But the defensive end is what really sticks out for me on them. Just how all five guys are just tenacious on the ball defenders and they just know how to rebound as a team, which is fun to watch. It's so interesting to see the contrasting styles of play. Um, and I'll throw one more out at you. Syracuse and West Virginia. Big surprise because Syracuse's own, I, I think that so many colleges and, and coaches in the ACC, they've seen the zone you know, over years and years and years. So they have a certain way that they're going to attack it. And so it seems like Syracuse every year kind of comes in with this lower seed and it seems like everybody's kind of figured them out. And then all of a sudden they get into the tournament and they're playing all of these schools who have never seen a two, three zone at that level before. And then they make a run. And it was just really interesting to see, I'm grabbing my bracket, grabbing my bracket right here. But when, when I saw that, and I really like the West Virginia team because how hard they play, they really are tough, hard nose, get after it defensively. And I'm looking at and saying, okay, if they play Syracuse, that's a bad matchup for a West Virginia team because they, they West Virginia isn't known to have a ton of shooters and they're going to be, it's going to be tough to really ram a home in, inside the paint against all that length and all that size and if, if they can't really get out and get some easy baskets in, in transition, they're going to be in for, for a really long night. And sure enough, Syracuse makes that run. So it's just the, the contrasting styles and the matchups. And I'm like, you know, I really think West Virginia, you know, against maybe a different style of teams or anybody but a Syracuse has a legit chance to make the Elite Eight, make the Final Four. Possibly, I thought they had a really good uh, team for Bobby Huggins this year, but style of play uh, is, is such a big deal when it comes to tournament time. So with that in mind, offensively and defensively, are there certain things that you're looking for to try to pick up on to apply to your team, whether that's next year or something that you just want to kind of keep in the bag for years down the road? Yeah, there, there's really three points that um, I want to, um, touch base on, but but real quick, going back to Syracuse, you, you made a good point with that 2-3 zone. Um, I think, I've always said this to our guys, and Coach, you probably heard this too, and you probably mentioned some of your guys. When you get into tournament play, when you get prepped up for that very first game, that's the, always the hardest game, no matter what, because teams are most prepared for that game. Now, Syracuse wins. They play in less than 48 hours. So for West Virginia to try to get adjusted and acclimated in that short time frame is so difficult because, again, that 2-3 zone is so unique. Um, you know, where I played at Rochester, we played Eastern Michigan. Their head coach at the time, Rob Murphy, um, Jim Behines, longtime assistant, so he brought the 2-3 zone with him. I will tell you this, being on the floor with 6'8", 6'9", 7-foot guys that are long and lanky, for me as a shooter – even if I had some airspace, I was told to shoot it. But boy, I didn't have much airspace. 
because I'd have a seven footer's hand right in my face and it feels like he's five feet away from me. I'd be like, how did you get, it's just very, again, very unique style of play. So I'm glad you brought that up because I was eventually going to bring that up um, with their two, three zone. But going back to the question you just asked about what I apply to a team, the three things that stood out, like I mentioned earlier with Abilene Christian, just their team defense, they're a team that I really want to kind of like dissect and really just study this off season and just see if I can take some things on how they do their defending of on the ball, off the ball, and utilize it for our guys and our system. Um, the second one is I talked earlier about Loyola Chicago. They're big man. Um, any coaches listening in on this, if you have a big guy that is kind of like an, what they call today a unicorn-like player, you got to watch Loyola and watch their big man. He's a seven-footer lefty. He's so unorthodox but unique at the same time. Um, I think Illinois made a terrible mistake playing off him in that game because he basically picked them apart all game. And then by the time Illinois tried to make adjustments, it was too late. The perimeter guys were already comfortable for Loyola, which led to them making great execution in the end for them to come out with that big win. So kind of studying him a little bit more and seeing what Loyola does to utilize their big man and stretch the floor out and how they really use that space to get great opportunities for scores. Um, and the last one is... Let me ask you, did you watch Georgia Tech play? I did not. I was, unfortunately, I didn't watch as much basketball this past weekend as I usually do because I was traveling. I was going up to Ohio and we had a couple basketball clinics on Friday and Saturday and then I was driving Sunday. So I did not get to see that game. Okay. So they did something that literally during the game, um, my head coach, Matt Richards, calls me. And he's like, are you watching this game, Georgia Tech and Loyal? I'm like, I just turned it on um, and all that stuff. He's like, I need you to watch their one three one zone. So I'm watching it. And what was unique about it, it was giving Loyola struggles, is the top guy and the middle guy were always exchanging and filling in for each other. So as you watch it and you get a gathering of it is, so let's say, Coach Kramer, you're on top of the one three one and I'm playing in the middle. All right, so you're picking up the ball as soon as it crosses half court. But the moment the first pass goes, let's say you're on the right seam, the ball goes to the left seam. I'm going to take that. You're going to drop in and fill in the middle. So really the top guy and middle guy are always exchanging each other's positions when the ball changes sides of the floor. The wing guys are there to kind of just be there for a split second. But once you're at a point where you can push your man down, you do so. So it's kind of a unique perspective seeing that. Um, and it's something that we want to dabble into later in the year because we're a team that likes to throw in a one-three-one zone second half of the season. Um, but going with that kind of concept and seeing if the guys can adjust um, to that because again, seeing Loyola for the first ten minutes, they they looked like with their heads cut off, they had no idea what to do because again, they probably never prepared for it, never saw it. Again, it's just something you want to put in the back pocket that you can utilize. Again, if Georgia Tech's having success with it, I would gotta think we would have a great chance of having success with it. It's funny that you bring that up because um, yeah, I was an assistant coach for two years in Perrysburg and we ran a one, three, one, both years. And the second year we did that. We, uh, we had essentially our middle guy in the zone and our top guy in the zone were very interchangeable from a defensive standpoint. So that's what we did. We, we kept flipping them uh, when, the, when the ball shifted from side to side. Um, and, and you're right. It took a, a lot of teams, you know, uh, maybe four minutes at the very least to even figure out what they're going to do. But you, you play a team, especially high school for 32 minutes, four minutes is a long time. 
or if it's a slow paced game, it takes them even longer than that to get you. It might be a full quarter. Maybe they don't have a real good handle on it until the second half when they come out. That can be a, a huge, huge difference in, you know, your, your entire season being able to being able to do that. Has anything really surprised you from what you've seen so far? Um, well, we already touched upon Syracuse and the success we've had, so we won't um, go into that. But, you know, the couple of things that have really stuck out to me is, you know, we are seeing something that, you know, not many of us thought we would see um, in the NCAA tournament. Um, the level of playing field of mid-majors of pulling more consistent upsets year in and year out is starting to show that, hey, there's some guys that can play. Unfortunately, they're not at the power five schools that you don't see all the time on ESPN or national TV. They're playing on ESPN plus, or, you know, they're streaming like on YouTube. Like you don't know these guys until they get to the tournament. My best example is Oral Roberts. I mean, holy smokes. If you got to watch that point guard play, he's the lean score in the country. That guy could probably start on of all the 68 teams that made the field. He probably starts on 90, 95% of those teams for what he does. But again, he's a 5'10", 5'11 point guard. And think about how many 5'10", 5'11 point guards there are every single year that want to play at the highest level. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of those kids. So you got to really stick out at what you do. So for him, what he's really unique with is he's very shifty, he's very quick, and he's just super aggressive. Um, but on the other side, if you're 6'8", 6'9", 7 foot, you know, there's not many of you out there. So you're going to be able to go to those power five schools and be noticed right away. So seeing that like just tells me, it's like, okay, there are teams out there and there's great coaches at that lower mid-major level that know what they're doing, that do belong at the higher levels, but where they're at, they're excelling with what they have as resources for players and so forth like that. Um, you know, the second one that really stood, stood out to me was, you know, we're in the COVID season. Coaches, you guys are all going through this with the spectator issue. You're not having many people in the stands. So what's really surprising me is I know there's very limited fans right now, but, you know, when you're in the NCAA tournament, a Cinderella team or an underdog is kind of hanging with the top dog. The fans start, you know, rallying around the underdog, wanting them the upset to happen. It amazes me um, how there's no fans, how teams still cannot execute properly at the end of games. Um, the amount of teams with like four or five minutes to go, they start tightening up and it's like, there's no fans really. It's just you and your guys and, and your coach and you're still having the trouble and like feeling the pressure of all that stuff. And I don't know if it's more of just, Hey, you're in the NCAA tournament. All eyes are on you, even though they're not there in person, but they're there on TV watching you. You know, I think that's been the biggest surprise too. I mean, my prime example is the meltdown that Rutgers had against Houston. Like you're up, you're controlling the game the whole time. Houston's best player has been in and out with an injury. And then all you got to do is keep executing what you're doing, what the game plan is, but they just tightened up and they went away from the game plan and Houston ends the game on a 14 2 run. They went like, so that was a big surprise to me. It's just not just Rutgers in general, not picking on them, but just across the board, it just felt like a lot of teams just didn't seem to execute greatly, even though there's not many in attendance for the game. Yeah, you're, you're reminding me of Michigan State and uh, how they crumbled against UCLA <laughs> after looking so good in the, uh, in the first half. That's a, that's a great point. I wonder if any of it is, you know, for many of it, not all the situations you brought up, but if you're the top-seeded team, you come from a, like a Power 5 conference, even without fans, do you start to feel the pressure that you're supposed to win? And the longer 
that smaller school hangs on, even without the crowd, you know, to some doubts start to creep in, in in the back of your mind. And that's why basketball is a mental game. I mean, it, it is such a mental game when it comes to being successful and executing at a really high level. So with, with that in mind, is there anything, it could be from a strategy standpoint, you mentioned one late clock that you would like to see more of? So it, it kind of is like, uh, it was kind of a pet peeve of mine that developed over the weekend. But, um, you know, end of the game, you know, it's a one point, two point, maybe it's a tie ball game, you know, and there's just guys or not guys, but just teams are just settling for the, the big, oh, I want the one shiny moment kind of mo- signature moment game winner. But it's like not understanding like, hey, we're in the bonus, the game's tied why don't I try to maybe get to the basket and try to create something? Cause at worst cases, you might get fouled. You're still going to go to line with the opportunity to get a win. So I think that was one thing that really stood out to me. And, that's, and it wasn't just one particular game. Like, for example, like Michigan state, we were talking about, um, you know, their end of the game execution and like the shot they settled with, with Aaron Henry, like that for him, that's not Aaron Henry. I don't know what he was trying to think there. And again, I'm not trying to bash him. Um, Cause in that moment, you know, that's probably what he was thinking was his best result, but you're in the bonus, try to get something around the basket. Cause again, worst case is there might be five, six scenarios that happen. One of those scenarios doesn't go your way and UCLA gets the ball. So I think just the end of the game execution, that's something I'm going to look forward to this weekend as well. It's just like, okay, seeing that first weekend, do some teams that are still surviving um, that are still in the tournament, did they maybe learn from a game or two, like example, Syracuse, them struggling against that pressure against West Virginia at the end. Um, I mean, my goodness, it was so hard to watch them try to get the ball in with pressure. You know, is that something that Houston is going to be like, hey, do we just try to smother them right at the get-go and just get them uncomfortable? So again, some of those like late game scenarios, I think in the end could come back and haunt you when it comes into the next game. Or again, if you're fortunate to move on that following game after that. Uh, that's a great, that's a great point. And, you know, for a team to win it all, you have to do essentially everything right for, I mean, basketball is a game of mistakes. Who's going to make the least amount of mistakes is going to be the one left standing. A couple of things that really kind of get me from a player development standpoint, and I'll touch on something that you mentioned as well, but there's certain times where I, and and I'm, I'm curious to see our players, and maybe you could answer this as a college coach, but our players being told so much not to shoot a mid-range jump shot that now they may catch the basketball wide open at the elbow. And instead of taking that wide open shot, they'll take a dribble in and crash into three defenders waiting for them in the paint. There's just so many times where I feel like a guy has an easy shot and they make it harder on themselves because it happened that easy shot happened to be a mid-range. And I know analytically we're getting so far away from that shot that y'all see a player catch it. And I'm thinking, oh, he's wide open, just shoot it. Instead, they'll take that power dribble, jump in the air, try to draw a foul. Well, if there's no foul or the ref doesn't call it and they're gonna let the game be a little more physical than it was you know, when you were playing during the regular season, the player tosses it up misses a layup. And in my mind, I'm thinking, 
there's no way that was a higher percentage play than shooting the wide open 15 footer. And so I don't know, can you speak on that at all? So it, it's funny, like when you bring this up, because I, I say this to our guys all the time, like there'll be times when we do skill development and we just solely do mid-range jumpers. And I say, I'm like, the reason why is because guys, this is a lost art in the game. And like, I'll bring up examples. I'm like, you know, everyone's looking for the flashy, you know, the great, like, you know, go to like Steph Curry or someone that can get to the basket and just be acrobatic, like Jamal Murray, um, Kyrie Irving, like those guys. But like, you don't, you lose the, I guess I say this, you get a greater um, appreciation for guys like a Tim Duncan, who guys a first ballot hall of famer, this dude literally lived on the block or mid range. And then you look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you know, he is very similar to like Michael Jordan loves the mid range game, not the greatest three point shooter. He'll get to the basket, but his mid range game is what sets him up differently. And I think too, today, these kids or young basketball players don't understand that. Like it's a unique, um, unorthodox approach now because you're so used to okay he's either going to shoot a three or he's going to try to get to the basket you know like you were talking about and try to create something there whereas like not many kids know or understand when to stop on a dime and go for a little 15 to 18 footer pull up or jump shot I should say um so that's kind of how I break it down to him because I'm right there with you I think if you can have all three facets of you can be a consistent perimeter shooter but you can get your stuff around the basket. But if you have the ability to pull up on a dime from a mid range and be consistent with that, I just think that makes you like the complete player right there. So that's one of the things I really harp on our guys is like, you know, really just embrace the mid range jumper. I know it's not pretty. It's not the sexy look, you know, maybe pulling for a 15 foot bank shot. Like again, Tim Duncan would love that. I love it. Cause like I got a little old school mentality to me. So like kind of teaching those guys too. It's like, look, a lot of these times now think you're a three-point shooter or someone that gets to the basket. On a scout report, does anyone ever see like, oh, great mid-range shooter or great mid-range jump shot? You know, you don't see that. So that's something I try to harp and preach to our guys quite often about the mid-range shot. It's a good point. And, you know, when I'm working with players, I'm not saying, hey, we're going to live and die by the mid-range jump shot. But I, I just think that there's times where that is the best shot given the circumstance you got to be able to take that shot and, and knock it down. And that can be the difference in winning or losing the game. And I also think to your point, there's times where if you're attacking the basket off a, off a dribble, okay, they ran you off the three-point line. Maybe it was a hard closeout. Maybe you made a dribble move at the three-point line. Now you're attacking the basket and the defense has recovered to the point that we can no longer get to the paint. But if you have space, that pull-up jump shot is the right shot given the circumstance, right? So again, I'm not saying, you know, hawk up a bunch of mid-range jumpers. You know, if you would go to any of my workouts and I'll see kids shooting 17 footers, I'll be like, why, are we, why aren't you just shooting threes? Like you're just shooting catch and shoot 70 footers. Those need to all be three-point shots. Uh, very situational thing. Another thing that stuck out to me was, as you mentioned, some of the late clock situations when players try to shoot, uh, for example, uh, a step back when you're in the bonus, you're waiting to shoot it uh, when the shot clock is winding down. So you're shooting it with like a second left or two seconds left. Well, the way I'm looking at it is, especially if you're down one, you want to, you want to, or if you're down multiple points, you want to stretch this game out as long as you can. 
And there's, there's been certain games where I've watched where the team that's down is the one milking the clock. And then they'll take a late clock jump shot or even a late game jump shot. If that shot doesn't go in, it's over. And so, you know, I'm, I'm even telling our kids, if you take the shot with six seconds left, you're giving yourself a chance for an offensive rebound. If you miss it and the other team gets it, you give yourself a chance to foul. They go to the free throw line and then you're going to get the basketball another time. But don't try to be the hero and take a shot when you're down one with two seconds left. And by the time it comes off the rim, okay, the game's over. I mean, that, that's just some things that I've seen um, a, a handful of times. I think Michigan did that in the, the Big Ten tournament. And I'm like, oh, you got, you got to shoot it earlier in the clock. When, when you're down so that you can, you can foul or get offensive rebound, you know, before the game's over. So situations like that, I thought were just really interesting where, you know, nobody's perfect. We're all constantly learning. And even when you watch the best of the best, uh, division one NCAA basketball, you know, there's still so many things that we can look at and say, okay, we can, we can take some pieces here and learn from here's some other things that we can try to do uh, even better. What are some of the things that, um, I don't know if I wouldn't say surprised you, um, but what are some of the things that you'd really like to see a little more often? Um, yeah, you know, like I, I talked about you that this before the show started is like, you know, I, I'm a guy, I'm a sucker for those feel good stories, um, especially from the players or the coaches, because one is like, you know, for example, look at the Ohio um, guard, uh, Preston's his last name such a unique story to where he is now. Um, basically he was kind of like, just kind of amazing earned, story. Yeah. Earned it himself. And if you, if you have time, Google research, look up his name and just listen to his story. It's an incredible story to where he is now. Um, and it's just basically just kind of like believing in yourself is kind of the, the whole model of it, but it's just an incredible story to where he is now. Um, so I'm, I'm big into that. Same for like coaches too. Like a couple of years ago when Texas Tech made that, uh, that run to the championship game, Chris Beard, I got to learn more about him as the tournament progressed. And like, when you hear those stories, you know, you're kind of like, well, I can relate to that. I, I'm currently in that situation that he was in at the start to where he is now. That just tells me, it's like, hey, don't give up. Or, you know, it's going to be tough. But like, like they always say, your moment's going to come. That breakthrough moment occurs. And like each player, each coach always has that breakthrough moment. So I think it's great for, you know, just, not just for ourselves to hear, but just for the younger kids too, especially that inspired to be the best version of self basketball wise. It's like, when you hear those stories, that just get, that should get your you know, you know, motivation going to where I need, I need to get to the gym. Like if this kid can do it, I can do it too. So I think that's one thing there. Um, and again, I'm not, you know, the side character thing, you know, I'm not like, it's cool. Like, you know, a couple of years ago with Loyola and sister Jean, you know, that was awesome. You know, hearing that story, that incredible Cinderella run they were on, but like this past year, it's like not saying that she's like old news or anything like that, but like they kept always panning to her every time there was a big basket made. It's like, well, is this really about her or is this about the team and the young men and the coaches who have sacrificed so much, especially this year, you know, this is about them. Let's celebrate their successes. Like sister Jean is there, maybe show her at the end of the game or start of the game, or maybe like after a timeout. But I just think more of the focus needs to go towards these young men and women that are currently playing these tournaments and the coaches too. You bring up a great point as far as the coaches and, and so much we 
think about the players and, and the player story, but for all the coaches out there, I think of, you know, Nate Oates and his story from being yes. a, a high school basketball coach really not even that long ago, you know, and, and to, to his run um, to, to coaching in the NCAA tournament is, is a really cool story. And it's, it gives you a little juice as a, I would imagine as a college coach and wherever you are and, you know, a college coach, there's a college coach listening to this podcast right now and, and they're envisioning themselves coaching in the NCAA tournament someday. And it's a little bit of that motivation and that don't give up and your opportunities coming. The question is, will you be prepared for it? Are you doing the things to, to prepare just like a player, right? A coach is in the exact same boat. It's really, it's really cool stuff. I love this time of year. It's awesome. Yeah, I agree. And then I'll also throw in this other thing too, that I'd like to see more of. Um, again, like, I know we're seeing everything that's going out at the women's tournament, you know, the weight room issue, you know, just some of these services that they're being given is, you know, it's not, it's not fair to them for what they've done, but I, I really hope that like, and not just like right now, but I'm hoping moving forward in the next coming years, we really need to celebrate um, women's basketball too. Um, you know, really hype up them, you know, especially in the regular season, you know, marquee matchups, put it on national television. Um, but when it comes to the tournament though, really need to sell it to the audience. Um, a prime example is, look, games don't start until 2.40 on Saturday, the first game on the men's side. At 1 o'clock on Saturday, if you have nothing to do on ABC, national televised, UConn's playing Iowa. And if you don't know, the top two freshmen in the country are going head-to-head. -head. Um, Paige Buchers from UConn, um, I think I said her last name right. Um, and then from Iowa, there's a young lady called Caitlin Clark. And you know what, guys, I'm just going to sum this up to you. Caitlin Clark, she is a walking bucket. It is unbelievable watching her play. So I hope you guys that are listening to this are able to tune in on Saturday at 1 o'clock to watch that. Again, not only just for these young ladies to be on the national stage, but to also let's celebrate. Like, if you love basketball, you are going to tune in and watch women's basketball too because you're going to pick up things there as well. Um, that's going to help you moving forward too. Absolutely. Um, want to give a shout out to one of the young ladies that I used to train, Callie Shire, who played for High Point. So she played against UConn in the, in the first round. And it was just really cool to see her one play in the NCAA tournament two, they go up against UConn, you know, and, and just how good UConn is. And um, yeah, Clark and Bukers, they got some sauce. Um, they're, they're two really fun players and, and teams to watch. And um, so, yeah, although we, we emphasized in this episode uh, the men's side of the tournament, you know, I can say I've already watched more of the women's, uh, women's tournament so far this year than I ever have in the past. And I'm going to continue that trend. Women's basketball continues to just get better and more exciting. And I'm fired up that they're kind of on some primetime TV throughout Saturday and Sunday with, with some great games uh, to watch. And, you know, from a coaching side, we can learn from, from everyone. And so if you're, if you're only watching, you know, the, the men's side of the NCAA tournament, you know, you're, you're, you're hurting yourself a little bit because there's so many takeaways from both sides that we can continue to apply to our, our basketball game and our coaching game uh, to become better. And the women's game is, is a perfect, perfect example of that. So coach, thank you for taking the time to be on the, the coach's edge podcast. I look forward to uh, some text messages and all that stuff over the weekend as the game starts uh, rolling along. Anything you want to throw in here before we finish? Um, You know, just, 
I, you would think I would like being a, a basketball junkie, like you and I are, you would think you and I would have a good idea of like who, who would win what games and so forth like that. Listen, like to all like family and friends that, you know, that were filling out brackets and they called me and said, Hey, what do you think about this matchup? I'm at the stage. Like, I think I'm bad luck. Like, I feel like I know who's going to win, but Hey, I know the one thing when it comes to our team, I'm, I know our guys are going to be prepared. Um, they're going to do their best. They're going to put forth their best effort. But if you're coming to ask me like, Hey, what do you think of this game? I have realized, especially this year that being a basketball analyst down the road in my life, I don't know if that's going to be for me or being like the, Hey, this team's going to win this game or, you know, the gambling kind of person that sports betting is becoming legalized across the country. Like, don't, don't ask me because I think I'm bad luck when it comes to that stuff. Well, you heard me because that was going to be my closeout question was <laughs> what are your final four picks if well, you, I, out of the teams that are remaining? Can you give me a final, your final four picks? Well, I, I do think, um, you know, Gonzaga is a no brainer. Um, I think the way that the South is starting to shape up, I think Baylor is going to come out of there. Um, in the East region, I, I mean, I think it's Florida state. I think their depth and their length is going to cause, um, a ton of problems for Michigan coming up and Alabama's a team, you know, I like them, but, and I like Nate Oates, but nothing against them. But when you're a live and die by the three type of team, you know, you, you kind of, you need baskets to fall. If shots aren't falling, you don't play well behind. That's going to, it's going to hurt you. So I like Florida state there. Um, Midwest, whoo. Um, you know, give me Loyola. I mean, why not? Nice. <laughs> I'm at this point now where at first when they made that final four run a couple years ago, I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. But then watching them the last couple of years, you're like, wow, they, they are legit. Like this, this is, this team can go. And they have two starters that played in the final four a couple years ago. So they have some experience. So I'm kind of pulling for them to come out, um, of the Midwest. So I still think Gonzaga is the team to beat. Um, but we'll see. I mean, if everything happens like it did last week, all four picks I just made could be wrong. So anyone listening in on me, I apologize <laughs> if you pick those four teams. So that that's my final four. How about yourself? Solid, solid. Good. You know, you gave backup for everyone's, which I like. Um, yeah, I had Gonzaga. I'm sticking with that. Um, I picked Alabama to go to the final four. I got to stick with my pick there. Um, and on the South and the Midwest, I had two big 10 teams, Illinois and Ohio state going. So that didn't turn out too well for me. Um, uh, so if I had to pick some new final four teams there, um, I picked Syracuse to go to the Midwest. It just, it seems like things are, are working for them. Um, and then out of the, the South regional, I'll go with Baylor. I just think that they have, they have so much talent, so much athleticism, so much speed, um, and looking at some of the teams and, and the other side, I don't see anybody being able to, to stack up with them. But, you know, Gonzaga is my team to, to cut down the nets. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Any, anybody that has not yet watched Gonzaga, you have to watch this team. You want to talk about pick your poison, like we talked about earlier with some teams. Boy, when, if I had to prep for Gonzaga, I, I don't know what I would do. I think I would just pray. <laughs> Uh, definitely. They are fun to watch. Well-rounded as can be um, guys that can, you know, from an individual skill standpoint can, can make it happen. Uh, but at the same time, their strategy, 
their team and, and ball movement is, is on another level. Very fun to watch. So thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge podcast. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, kind of a unique episode. I think this might be one that we do again. Um, but hey, it's March Madness. It's the NCAA tournament. It's a special time uh, throughout the year. Uh, so I thought it'd be cool to, to change it up a little bit with a couple of our episodes during this, this special month. Thanks again for listening. Again, a positive rating review goes a really long way. If you like this, feel free to share it out with somebody who may also enjoy the Coach's Edge and find it beneficial. And a week from Friday, we're coming out, we're debuting and reopening the Coach's Edge again for our new members. So I'm really excited. We're, we're almost a week out from when that's going to debut. Uh, we, we've had a, a, a bunch of great feedback from our Coach's Edge members so far. And Coach Burton, I'll ask you before we before we go, you, you're a contributor, you have a Coach's Edge membership, you've messed around and got the Kramer Basketball app, which is a, a big addition. Everybody that signs up for the Coach's Edge not only gets the Coach's Edge membership, but starting at the end of April, all those coaches are going to get the Kramer Basketball Training app, 15 roster spots so that they can send that out. And so all their kids on the team get that it comes with the coach's edge membership so just any any thoughts on how the coach's edge has, has helped you out at all so far this year uh it's been tremendous um you know like you stated at the start of this podcast you know we didn't have a season so i've had a lot of free time on my hands to really like evaluate and assess like okay what are some things that really do work well and what are some things that i need to get better at you know doing a self-evaluation on myself and boy, this, this um, platform didn't come at a more perfect time. I mean, this has been awesome. Um, to anyone out there that's interested, I highly recommend this. Um, you know, my, I, have, I coach at the college level and, you know, our young men, we use stuff now from the coach's edge. Um, and I talk about where I got it from. Example, we did a warm-up drill where it was, you know, you showed it on video the other day to me, but you did some two-ball dribbling, you pass one, you shoot the first ball, it's in your hands, then you backpedal, get the next catch, then you go into a one-dribble pull-up guys loved it. They're kind of like, Hey coach, can we kind of make this be like a warm up to the start of workouts? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. I'm like, if there's anything else too, that I can get from this, um, to share with the guys, I'm going to do so again, it's all about sharing us all working together. Cause again, our common goal is yes, we want all inspired to be the best coaches, but then again, we want all of, all of us, um, to be successful. Um, so I think this is a great platform, um, for any level two, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, even the college level, and honestly, even the professional level too. It's really good to, good to hear. And, you know, when I had the idea of the Coach's Edge and thinking about some of the things that we wanted to provide for basketball coaches, the one thing that I underestimated was how much I was going to learn, how much I've learned from our coaches who are members, coaches such as yourself who are contributors. And it's really a great feeling when you yourself know that you're helping other people improve. And at the same time, they're helping you improve as a coach as well. And that's what the Coach's Edge is all about, teaching, sharing, and continuing to learn the game from one another. So um, next next week, be sure to check out coachesedge.coach. You can register for, for our membership. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out, contact at kramerbasketball.com or at coachesedge1 on Twitter. Thank you again for listening. And as always, get after today.